on, Andrew. What's up, guys? Last Youth Sunday, Father Chris stole it from me. Uh, I know. He was up here, right? Stop it. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. He might have been a little bit better. So this morning, I want to use our imaginations, okay? So let's say one day I decide to run for president, okay? Lots of people begin to find out, and lots of people tell me they think it would be a great idea and that I would make a pretty good leader. Tons of people begin to follow me, and all of them are convinced that I must be the guy for the job. And just when my popularity is at its highest, I give this speech. If you vote for me, I promise you all these things will happen. You're going to lose your homes and your jobs. You'll be hungry, probably sick, and lots and lots of people will hate you. But if you follow me through all of that, if you stick it out, you'll most likely be killed because you followed me. So remember, when it's time to vote, a vote for Humphrey is a vote that causes you to lose everything. <laughs> now, if, if I gave that speech, do you think anyone would vote for me? No. Why not? Because they don't want to lose everything. Right. Who wants to lose everything? Nobody, right? So here's what's kind of confusing about today's gospel text. Jesus kind of sounds like he's saying similar stuff. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about votes, and he certainly wasn't running for president, but he was talking about what his supporters, what his followers could expect if they followed him. Here's a few things that Jesus said his followers must be prepared to do. Okay, you ready? Jesus said that if anyone wanted to follow him, that person must do what to their father and mother? That's not what he said in today's gospel text. You would think love them. What did he say in today's gospel text? Hate them. What? Hate them, right? That doesn't sound right, though. Surely Jesus doesn't mean that. Surely Jesus must mean something else. So let's see what Jesus says next in the gospel text, and maybe it'll make more sense. Here's what he says. Jesus says that if anyone wants to follow him, that person must do what to their wife and their children and their brothers and their sisters? Hate them. What? Jesus said you had to hate them, too. And that doesn't sound like the Jesus we know, does it? Jesus even said that you must do what to your own life? Hate it. What in the world? Now, does Jesus want people to follow him? Yes. But if Jesus wants people to follow him, why is Jesus saying the exact things that would probably convince people to not follow him? It's a good question, right? So here's the two questions I want to answer today. First question, is my story about running for president and promising that all of my followers will get terrible stuff, is that the same thing Jesus is doing in our gospel text? Is he doing something like that? Second question, Jesus doesn't want us to actually hate people, right? Right. So if he doesn't want us to hate people, why in the world would he say stuff like that? Why did Jesus use the words he used and what did he mean? Those are the two big questions, okay? About hate? Yes, about hate. Now, I'm counting on your vote in November. <laughs> right? Okay. Back to your seats. Okay. <laughs> so 
let's start with the obvious. Jesus is not commanding his followers to hate anyone. Is that clear? Jesus said a definitive sign, if you're one of his disciples, is that you would be known by your love for others, not that you actively hate those around you. And when it comes to loving and hating, Jesus literally says that his disciples should love those who hate us. That is crystal clear, right? Here's something else that should be obvious. Jesus is not commanding his disciples to hate people in our families. Of course not. God himself literally wrote the commandment in stone, honor your father and mother. And there is no way that you can honor your father and mother while actively hating them. You might remember the line from the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In that sentence, Jesus is saying that the degree to which we are forgiven our sins is directly connected to how we forgive the sins of others. And guess what, guys? You cannot forgive a person their sins and still yet hate them in your heart. It is not possible. Jesus did not, nor will he ever, make hatred a prerequisite for following him. Is that clear enough? Good, because we have a problem. Our problem is this. In Luke 14, Jesus seems to be talking about hating lots and lots of people. And what's more of a problem, Jesus seems to say that you had to hate certain people in order to follow him at all. And if Jesus would have said, in order to follow him, you had to hate that guy on the interstate going slow in the passing lane, then maybe this wouldn't be such a hard saying. What is that guy thinking? Sorry. But, <laughs> but Jesus isn't talking about hating inconsiderate strangers, is he? No. Jesus uses the word hate in connection with the deepest and most central connections in the human experience. He lists parents, siblings, spouses, and children. Guys, that covers practically every single formative relationship you will ever have. And just in case you're wondering if there is some translation gymnastics we can use to make this word hate mean something other than what it sounds like, there isn't. The word hate used in this passage means exactly what you think it means. It's the same Greek word used earlier in Luke when Jesus preached in the Beatitudes. In Luke 6, Jesus said this, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Revile, spurn, exclude, all of these are synonyms for the word hate that is used in our gospel passage. So make no mistake, hate is the word Jesus used. But we know deep in our bones that it cannot mean what we think it means. Jesus cannot possibly be teaching that hatred is a prerequisite of being a disciple. So how do we make sense of this? How do we understand what Jesus is saying in these verses without being disingenuous and trying to explain away how hard these verses really are? Thankfully, I think we can. And while the explanation will show you what you already know. Jesus isn't saying that we should hate anyone. The implications of what Jesus means in our text are potentially just as hard for us to hear. Think back <clears throat> to my initial analogy about this text, what most assuredly is the worst presidential campaign speech ever given. And instead of that analogy, 
Let's use another analogy. Let's, let's change the content of the analogy ever so slightly, and let's see if that helps us understand what's going on in today's text. So imagine this. Imagine someone trustworthy, someone with deep compassion for others, comes to you and asks you to follow him on a great expedition. This expedition is an attempt to reach millions and millions of people who were cut off people who will surely die unless someone reaches them. He asks you if you want to go with him, if you want to aid him in his mission. And you, being a compassionate person yourself, decide following him is the right thing to do. You set out on the road together, and at first things aren't so bad. As a matter of fact, things are actually pretty good. The longer you travel together, the more people respond to his message and join your ranks. The road you travel is straight, the ground is level, there's very little danger or opposition, spirits are high, and your provisions are full. But then one day, your leader turns to the masses following him on this great expedition and says, things are about to get a lot tougher. The comfortable path you've traveled so far is completely unlike the path that lay ahead. And as he's explaining this, you look just over his shoulder and in the distance, you see what he's talking about. Directly in your path is what appears to be an insurmountable mountain range. Mountains that stand so tall, you can't imagine how anyone could ever scale them and live to tell the truth. You tune back into what your leader's saying, and you realize he's telling everyone the unvarnished truth. Before, you traveled with some creature comforts things that made the expedition bearable, perhaps even comfortable. But that part of the expedition is done, and what comes next will be entirely different. You have reached a point in the expedition where the road is no longer straight, the ground is no longer flat, and from here on out, danger and opposition will be your daily companions. Going forward means suffering. Going forward means toil and trial. And the leader says that if you wish to continue on this expedition, if you wish to continue following him in this great endeavor to rescue millions, you'll need to leave behind much of what you've brought along. From here on out, the path over the mountains is far too steep for you to continue with what you've brought. You'll need to shed much of what you have to have any hope at all of making it over. And then he concludes with this. He tells you, the path forward is so treacherous that some of us, many of us, may not make it back. He says now would be a good time for you to send home letters, letters which could be your last to loved ones, letters where you're telling mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, wives and husbands, and yes, even your children, goodbye. The letters aren't meant to demean your family. They aren't meant to accost or reject them. No, you're writing these letters bidding your family goodbye because the way forward must be done with that level of commitment, a level of commitment so deep that not even the most central and valued relationship on our earthly experience will restrain us from going forward. And the leader makes sure you understand, if you're not prepared to do that, if you aren't willing to risk every relationship everything you have, and yes, even your own life, if you're not willing to do that, you might as well go ahead and turn around right now. 
because the way forward is that treacherous. The way forward may cost you that much. I think that analogy is much closer to what Jesus is saying in our gospel text. Our gospel text is a conversation where Jesus is telling the throngs of people who were following him, the multitudes of people who have seen his miracles and have heard his wondrous teachings, that the days of following him in comfort and security are at an end. From this point on, the path forward is so treacherous that it may cost them everything. It may cost them familiar relationships. It may cost them their jobs, their reputations. It may even cost them their lives. And Jesus knows exactly what his price will be. He knows exactly what sacrifice he is willing to make. He is willing to give it all up. He is willing to let it all go for the sake of those who were cut off. And if you want to follow him, if you wish to participate in this great expedition, your commitment and willingness to sacrifice can be no different. So here's where the rubber meets the road for us. I'm going to begin with a few qualifiers. I do not believe that following Christ in this country has always been universally easy for everyone. Not in the least. There are countless stories of people who have sacrificed everything, people who have given up everything they possessed in order to follow Christ. We all know those stories, and we rightfully see them as models to imitate. So I'm not making a case that following Christ in America has always been a cakewalk. My contention today is this. For generations in America, the cost of following Jesus has been low for most of us. For centuries in America, following Christ was a cultural norm. Following Christ was a cultural signpost that communicated your decency, your dependability. Following Christ was seen as an indication that you could be trusted to do the right thing, that you were striving to be the right kind of person. And so for the most part, we in America have followed Christ on roads that have been fairly straight, on ground that has been level. And for the majority of us, opposition and conflict on these roads has been exceedingly rare. But I don't think there's a single person in this room today that would consider me a pessimist if I said that those days of easy travel seem to be quickly coming to an end. The road ahead seems to be much more difficult, a road that will cost us much more if we wish to continue to walk it. And even though it's hard for us to even consider it, it may well be a road so fraught with danger and peril that it may cost us our lives one day. And while that day is not yet, if we're honest, we all sense that the road just over the horizon is going to be much more different than the one behind us. And guys, I'm not saying any of that lightly. I don't fancy myself a prophet, and if you know me, I'm certainly not a pessimist. I say these things only because that seems to be the clearest picture of the road that lays ahead of us. And if we're not prepared for that road when it comes, if we aren't prepared to shed all the things which inhibit our pursuit of Jesus, then the difficulty of the road to come will convince many that continuing is just too much. The perilous road ahead may induce many to fall away. 
And if something like that is possible, as a priest of Christ's church, I must be willing to call it out. But thankfully, as a priest in Christ's church, I must also be willing to say this. No matter what the road in front of us looks like, no matter how treacherous it may be, it is not a road we travel alone. Christ himself has traveled that road before us. He has made a way for us to push through whatever the enemy may hurl at us. Christ has enlivened his church for this exact journey. And with the provision of the Holy Spirit living and breathing in us, there are no fires of hell, there are no schemes of men so vile that they should prevent us from following our master. He knows the road that we travel, and he has made every provision for us to stay the course, no matter how difficult it may be. He travels the road with us. He shows us the way forward by leading us himself, and he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us on this journey. And no matter how difficult things may become, we can rest easy knowing that he has overcome everything that waits for us. Amen.